You are listening to the Signal to Noise podcast on the ProSound Web Podcast Network. Signal to Noise is supported by Audix. Check out their line of Pro Studio headphones and microphones, as well as the TM2 in your monitor measurement coupler at audix-usa.com. RCF, manufacturer of professional line array, subwoofer, and loudspeaker systems, as well as portable sound solutions and audio tools for your production studio. For over 70 years, RCF's passion for perfection drives the design of every product. Visit RCF at rcf-usa.com. Alan and Heath has asked us to read this. If a tree falls in the forest and no one is there to hear it, does it make a sound? It would seem that it all depends on the famed philosopher John Locke's conception of primary and secondary qualities of the tree. Of course, this metamorphosis indicates the qualities the objects possess initially, axiomically, and which are attributed to them by the listener. The falling tree in the forest does not really sound like anything, kind of like the heavy metal Skeltzimmer band I was in in high school. I wish I could break free Back to where I'm supposed to be I wish I could break free Back to where I'm supposed to be Welcome to the Sickle Toys Podcast on the Pro Sound Web Podcast Network. I'm Chris Leonard. Whoa. Wow. You are Michael Lawrence. Like the well. It was just, I don't know. I, I, got, I guess I've been doing the intro and I forgot like how luxurious it is when Chris does it. That was great, <laughs> man. I love it. And that. he goes full radio voice too. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. It, it, it's almost as if I've had to record that intro a handful of times. <laughs> uh, how you, how you doing, Michael? It's almost like I haven't seen you four times in the last two weeks. <laughs> I I'm good, man. I'm I'm a little uh, I'm not gonna say like I'm burnt out or frazzled or anything, but I'm just been a, a couple days of hard work. Been down at uh, Rational Headquarters in Woodstock, Connecticut. We're obviously hard at work on a uh, bunch of stuff with for version nine, where we've got new features coming out and uh, fixing a lot of bugs and adding a bunch of new stuff. And you know, writing the documentation is no small small feet and we're redoing a lot of the training stuff and scheduling new classes. And so there's just a lot of, uh, a lot of plates in the air, as they say, but it's all good stuff and all stuff I'm excited about doing. It's just, uh, it's a lot of stuff going on, you know? So, uh, you kind of, by the time five o'clock rolls around, you're, you're ready to go home. Mm -hmm. Yep. And then, and then, and then we got to sit here and (laughs) have a conversation, but this is good. It's a good distraction, I think, you know? So, um, Cool, man. Well, let's let's get right into this. I mean, we have, you know, Ryan, John. We don't need to really intro you. You've been here, it probably probably the most reoccurring guest, and also the name mentioned most on this podcast because of. Yeah, Michael, I was going to say, so. even when I'm not on on the podcast, <laughs> He's somehow here I get spirit. mentioned. Yeah, yeah. We I, we actually we might even need you to start adding his picture to the guest. Could you just um, put it in on on like the on the just, homepage, right? Like just it's bake just, it into the artwork or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Then we have to like well, start paying, paying him or something like that. So we gotta, we gotta, we gotta, you know, we gotta keep him. Brian, humble, all right. Welcome back, man. Um, I I feel like it's been a blessing, dude. I've seen you like in person like a couple times recently, and it's pretty sick because we usually don't get to hang out that much. So it's yeah, chill. that's that's been a pleasure, man. It's it's also I, I don't tend to do shows in the United States, and somehow over the past couple months <laughs> I have done a bunch, and subsequently like we actually ran into each other. Yeah, it's killer. Um, I, I mean, I, I'll start with this, like I, you've 
given guidance to a lot of people and given information to a lot of people. And so many people we talk to say that they learn stuff from you. What have you, what have you learned recently since we last spoke? Hmm. What have I learned since we last spoke? I'm Um, going to come out swinging, man. I'm going to get you. Yeah. This, this one's an interesting one. Uh, what, what I've, a thing I've talked about a bunch lately that I've recently learned is over the pandemic, I became less confident in how I thought something should be. Right. Interesting. Now, now I, I realize that's like a little bit vague, right? But like I came into a gig and the PA seemed wrong. Right. And, and I was very gentle about poking about, you know, this, this doesn't seem right. This doesn't seem right. This doesn't seem right. And I didn't come into it going, Hey, this is wrong. Let's start over. And I really wish I had because we wasted so much time with me being so gentle about being like, hey, maybe, maybe this, maybe that, maybe this, maybe that. And I've run into that a bunch of times now over the past like three months where I like, I realize this is not what you're asking when you say, what did you learn? That's like something new. (laughs) I learned something about myself. And in this moment, I learned that I need to be a little bit more confident in going, this seems wrong. Let's figure it out together rather than just kind of like gently poking do you know what I mean by that? Yeah. Yeah. And I wouldn't say it's me being overly polite. It was just me being, uh, I always assume that the mistake is on my end. And then until I can unequivocally prove the mistake is not on my end, it stays that way until then I, I can say, no, nope, it's definitely not me. Start. That's not a bad place to start. I mean. No, no fair, we, fair Well, enough. we've all dealt with the opposite, which is the person who thinks every problem is not their responsibility and it's someone else's. And that's not a good person to, to work with. Um, right. So, so I, I, I get that, but I also think something I've noticed is that, that I have to really pay attention to that little spidey sense where you hear something, just something very, very tiny and it barely intrudes on your consciousness. And you're like, that's not, and then later you're like, I thought that sounded weird. Like, why did I not pay more attention to that when I heard it? It's, right. So it's like, exactly that. that. Man. Yeah. It's exactly that. I have not been paying attention to that spidey sense enough or, or, or I, I feel it and I just don't say it out loud. And honestly, at the end of the day, we're, our, our goals for everybody on any given gig is the same. Have an awesome gig, right? And like a, a great gig that everyone enjoys. So if something feels wrong to me, I shouldn't be afraid to say it, you know, just say it in a polite mm-hmm. way that doesn't point blame at anyone. And, you know, says, how do we fix this together? Mm-hmm. That's the way to go. And, and I kind of, I mean, not literally, but I kind of screwed that up on a couple gigs recently where I was like, I should have pushed harder to mm. fix these things because later as we got mm-hmm. along it it was at that point too late to go back and fix these things you know what i mean yeah for sure there's sort of a, a related uh like a stick to your guns type of thing like just because you're looking around and no one else thinks this thing is important it doesn't mean you're wrong like it might be important um I, one example we did a festival recently and it's a big stage and it was like a side-by-side stage. It's like the A stage, the B stage. So there's just, you know, there's like 36 front fills, right? There's a lot of front fills and they're all just, you know, it's like a car box or whatever. It's just resting on the side. So it's, it's aimed over the heads. It's aiming up, you know, so it's just, it's going over the heads of all the people who would be down there in the front row trying to hear the show. And I was the only person who said anything. And, the people running the festival were fantastic. You know, we had a great time. They took good care of us. I just said, hey, they're like, all right, what well, can, you know, what's up with you? And I was like, can we re-aim these front fills? Because, you know, the band I was with is one of those bands where people come at 
at 9 a.m. to the festival and sit through eight bands they don't care about just so they can be in the front row for that one. Um, so it's like those seats, that's the money down there. Y'all got to, they got to hear this. And part of me was like, really, all of these other bands, like some really big name bands all came in and no one said anything. But like, that doesn't mean that it's not important. So, and I'll, I'll say one of the worst things I hear from anybody is when someone says, so-and-so band did it last night and they loved it Yeah, <laughs> as if it's an excuse that like what I'm saying, I, I want a system right, to do right. or whatever and, and is, so it's, is not, not a, not a fair exactly. request. And it's like, look, I don't work for those other bands. I, I work for this one and I know what the priorities are on this particular show with this particular artist. That's all I can speak to. I can't speak to anybody well, else's act. Right. Immediately and, reactionary. I'm always like, well, they have low standards, but <laughs> I, I, I try not to say that out loud, you know? But maybe but, maybe they have different priorities. I don't know. You know what I mean? But but there are acts, and Sam talked about it last week. There are acts whose whose the the visuals outrank having good front fill coverage, and that's just a choice from the artist or their team or whatever. But but on this show, it's like okay, we want to make sure the people in the front can hear. So I go, hey, can we aim these forward. And look, I'll help you, dude. I'll get down there in the pit with you and and flip these rigging links out. Like, well, let's do it. You know, like I'm not just brushing this task off on somebody else. I'm just saying this is important to my show. So can we can we have a conversation about this? And they were like, yeah, no problem. And they just did it. And it was great. And I want to say thanks to, to all those guys that took really good care of us out there. But, um, you know. There's a bit of you remember the in the in Zulander where he's like, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. Like it's like, how is how did 30 other bands come through here? And, and no one anything. said anything about this. You know, there's there's these times when you're like, Am I crazy? And it's like, no, like it's objectively not pointed in a good direction for what we're trying to do here. So yeah, I've learned to like ask the question and just be polite about it, be professional about it. And if the answer's no, the answer's no. But but now I can go back to my act and say, Well, I I did bring it up. I got vetoed, yeah. but I but I brought it up. You know, I, and, I and, have and one of you. one of the examples I'm thinking of of me not pushing enough was exactly what you're saying. Wherein it was a festival that was like three days long, and I'm on the headline slot for the third day. Right. And I'm like, how has nobody said anything about this for the mm-hmm. previous two days? It's got to be what sixteen artists, if not more, yeah. that have been in front of this and not said anything. And that that's what made me question whether what I'm thinking is actually right or wrong. But I'm pulling up a show, uh, you know, that I've heard a hundred times and going, this doesn't sound okay. Mm-hmm. And I know what it should sound like. Right. So it was one similar, similar thing where, where that many people have gone through it that I'm like, am I, am I crazy? Am I taking crazy pills? <laughs> that, that same thing, you know, you know what though, but here's the, here's the flip side. So another festival I did this year, I tuned the PA basically the same way that I always tune the PA and, and I've, what we've discovered is this particular approach that I tend to use at festivals and, and we use it with, with Danny Elfman, right? And we're going to talk about that. And typically when I approach a PA like this at a festival, typically it minimizes the number of requests that the front house engineers will make to change it. So that's why I keep doing it that way. <laughs> it makes everybody's yeah. day easier. And every single act came to It's almost yet. as if that's the SE's job. <laughs> almost. <laughs> so, so nobody asked for filters or anything except for one act uh he put his music on and he started doing his eq and he did it on his left right so it's like didn't ask me for shit it's doing his own thing that's cool and i just watched what he's doing and he basically high passed the whole pa to like 250 and then he like low passed the pa like 8k basically band limited whole thing and then he like boosted 500 and it, it sounded exactly like you think that would sound 
like AM radio? It basically, but, <laughs> but but that was his show. And it worked yep. for the show. And it worked for the show. And would I mix a show like that? Probably not. Would I use that EQ on my PA? Probably not. But the whole point is he could be sitting there going, well, I can't believe no one else asked for these filters. <laughs> You know, he could be he could be thinking the same thing, and like the the vendor tech was calling him Mister EQ, which I thought was kind of funny because because we, we <laughs> all saw face? him do it. No, we not to his face. But the thing is, here's my thing: I'm gonna watch. I'm gonna watch and see what they do. And if every band comes up cuts two fifty, then you're gonna take some two fifty. That right. tells me I have an issue that I yeah. need to do. So I'm always seeing what they're doing because it's how I make the improvement. So I want to see what they're gonna do anyways. And he was super cool. I was like, no, I don't know nothing. He just did his own thing and he did a show and he left. And and so if if that's what is good for your show, do it. You don't have to sit there and second guess how come no one else did this. It doesn't matter. They're not doing your show. You're doing your show. So do your show, right? I mean, that's you can, is it right or wrong at that point as much as this is what the show wants to be. Yeah. Yeah. Let's uh let's get into some juicy Danny Elfman oh, stuff. God. <laughs> no, so Danny Elfman stuff. No, I mean that's um, and the the cool overlap here for those who don't know him. And Michael, you've done some some work for Danny, and then from from a um, SE standpoint, and then Ryan, you get to do this pretty cool gig at the um, was it was it the Greek or was it the uh, uh, no, Hollywood Bowl? Hollywood we did a couple Bowl. nights at the at the bowl. Yeah. So what what was that gig about? I mean, hundred and what hundred and seventeen input something like that? No, hundred and seventy something. What, you, yeah, you, just you shy of hundred and seventy. Better than I can. <laughs> yeah. So. So, for those of you who don't know, Danny Elfman is a composer, uh, but also from a band that was, you know, big in mid-70s, 80s, Oingo Boingo, and then also has, you know, a solo project uh, with a record he put out during the pandemic called Big Mess. Uh, sonically, these are all pretty different, right? Big Mess is kind of like <laughs> indus- industrial metal, yeah. <laughs> right? It's, it's, like, it's like a Nine Inch Nails type show with like absolutely insane amounts of intensity. Then you got Oingo Boingo, which is like, you know, late 70s rock and roll uh, that, you know, sometimes has horns, sometimes a couple other things. But, you know, for the most part, kind of 70s rock and roll. And then you got all his film music, right? And everything from, you know, Batman to The Simpsons theme to, uh, I don't know, yeah, half the Marvel movies. Yeah. Nightmare, Nightmare Before Christmas. Nightmare Before Christmas, Christmas of yeah. course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in the context of this show, this, this show is maybe two hours, and 20 minutes. Uh, and it is two hours and 19 minutes of music. So there's only about a minute of downtime in the entire show where he speaks or anything else like that. So we go back to back from this industrial metal straight into, I don't know, the Edward Scissorhands Ice Dance, which is like one of the most delicate pieces there is, right? And then it goes from that straight back into this kind of, you know, 70s rock and roll. And it's all literally back to back where the downbeat of the, the next song might be the last beat of the last song. Wow, and it yeah, it's 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 a bit intense. So on stage, it was something like forty-seven players. Uh, it's you know a small orchestra, uh, I think sixteen choir members, and then the band itself is also absolute ridiculous powerhouses of players. So you know Josh Freeze on drums, you know famous for playing with nails. Uh, Wes Borland guitar, famous for you know Limp Bizkit, a couple other things. Nilly Brosh, she plays for Metalocalypse and, Me, and Cirque, who, Cirque du Soleil. By the way. Neely and I graduated Berkeley together. No way. We're like super good friends. Like she slept on my couch. Like we're tight. And I was so fucking excited when I showed up to Coachella and she was there. <laughs> I haven't seen her in years. I was so fucking excited. She's a ridiculous player. Absolute man. Unbelievable. shredder. Unbelievable. 
Yeah. Like it's comical how easy she makes this look and the, she just the absolutely precision shreds. is re- like you could record her doing it 10 times and it's going to match perfectly her precision. I've never seen anybody with that level of precision ever. Yeah. She's on the, so his so Danny's whole band is just insane <laughs> yeah yeah the whole band is insane and then also even the orchestral players half of them are the people that work on his film music rather than being like la philharmonic or whatnot mm. so absolute unreal players and you know this this crazy genre shift from song to song with no downtime in between and um a hell of a lot of inputs and the majority of the majority of gigs that are like you know over 100 inputs it really works out that you're really only using 60 at a time most of the time, right? And the rest of them are muted. Or maybe it's a second drum kit that gets used for one song or this or that. In this, there was a bunch of songs where it was basically all of them all the time. Uh, so it's a little different than your usual high input count um, show. So what was, what was the, oh, sorry. I was just going to say, uh, you know, so Denny Miller was the sort of the brains behind this operation and, and built a lot of the, there was some, I think we had like 300 snapshots and there's just huge, huge amounts of automation to wrangle. I don't know if you're working off that file, Ryan, or if, nope. you, or if you started built, over. Built but, mine from scratch. Okay. So uh, there was just the, just the bandwidth of what's happening. When we did the show at Coachella, I mean, it was like, he was showing me where things were on the console on different layers because he was like, once this fucking starts, I can't. You can't find it. I can't have a casual thought. You know, he's like, so he's just totally locked into the, the console and everything peripheral to that. Um, I did a lot of stuff that I don't usually do because he was just that such, like you said, there's just so much going on and it's so fast paced. If you look away for a second, you're <laughs> you're, you're buried. So yeah. it was a it was a uh, it was kind of like a roller coaster thing you know you're like see you at the end <laughs> <laughs> yeah pretty much and again you know since it's non-stop music you don't get any downtime no you know and and since there's so much dynamic and there's so many like sonic changes through this set you can't stop paying attention and there's you know cello solos guitar solos violin solos there's you know oboe and well not oboe but you know clarinet and, and or whatever. there's two bars of xylophone coming up and they're yeah. super famous and if you don't get them everyone's gonna know you missed that one fader throw and yeah exactly the, de- <laughs> the details are, pr- are pretty unreal and then of course you know you've got danny who wants to sit and review everything with you too so you know danny and i sat for multiple days where we'd sit and go through playback and i'd roll it all back and we talk through what it is he wants. And then the additional challenge is that this is at the bowl. And the bowl is not, well, I don't know, what's a nice way to say this? It's not an ideal acoustic space for a very <laughs> loud rock band, right? Especially with sound <laughs> limits that are there. They're, they're quite low considering the intensity that Danny wants, right? And then, um, yeah. 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 I mean, that, that's it. It's like just having him sit there and go through all this stuff and then go through it detailed. Oh, yeah. yeah. The, the, the thing I was going to say there is that we also added a thrust in the middle of the stage, right? Oh, geez. So there's a thrust that sticks out a bit. And the bowl also has a center fill right above the center. And it points directly down so that it can hit the people in the seats that are right in front, which also means it points directly down at the thrust. And the first time he goes on the thrust is is during this song uh i think it's during insects and he switches to a headset mic so he's on a headset mic on the thrust and wants tons of overdrive on the vocal because it's just this purely intense song and there's a small chunk of pa pointed straight at it so that was you know 
Second song in the set. The hardest challenge in the entire show. That um, was did, something that... Oh, go ahead, Chris. I'm sorry. Well, yeah, oh, back on the prep side, did, did you have um, scores? Did you have sheet music? How did you... What did, how did, like, what was the prep like for this? How did, how did you know how to bring all this together and what to bring up when like what i mean that's there's no way you had time to actually study all of those songs like what what, what does that look like i i, I did literally study oh, those sorry. songs so i knew okay. about i knew about this Move gig <laughs> i knew about this gig probably a month and a half in advance maybe two months in advance okay. right so i didn't have the set list but the coachella show had happened once right okay. so i went and and i got an audio feed of the whole thing um Sadly, Denny was in the middle of a tour, so he couldn't upload the actual virtual sound checks from it because he had it. You know, he had the, the multi-track recordings yeah. or whatever. But, you know, being in Italy or wherever it was he was at the time, uh, uploading 200 gigs over uh, hotel <laughs> Wi-Fi is a bit of a challenge, you know? <laughs> so uh, I didn't end up getting that. But I did have, you know, the board mix of the entire thing. And then I also went and listened to all the album versions of all the songs. Mm. So, you know, I took my own notes, lots and lots and lots of notes. Uh, I didn't know what the final set list was, but I had to assume it was roughly Coachella plus 30 minutes of music. And I kind of had an idea of what that 30 minutes of music would be based on just, you know, some emails that had gone back and forth, some ideas, right? So I had, you know, extensive notes written out for every song, what instruments are played where, et cetera, et cetera. The thing is at that time, I didn't know if some of these things were going to be live, live from the orchestra, live from an extra set of inputs, uh, you know, coming off playback, coming off a keyboard. There's a lot of sounds that uh, it's hard to gauge where it's going to come from if you can't physically mm -hmm. see like what we're yeah. going to do. So, you know, I just had the note saying, yeah, this this almost xylophone part is going to happen here and it's important. Uh, so at that point, the next step is, you know, figuring out what our actual input list was. And even figuring out our input list was a challenge. So I took the Coachella input list and I was like, we're probably going to have this but we might have other stuff. So these emails start flying around that are like, okay, it's 47 players in the orchestra. They're going to be playing these instruments. This player is playing five different instruments. <laughs> this, this other player is playing four instruments. And then this, this one cellist is actually the solo cellist. So we need to make sure we have eye on it. Universal. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it was almost kidding. that. It was I'm basically <laughs> just give me a hundred forty ninety nines and I'm going to put them everywhere. Right. Um, so, you know, at that point we've got this input list, uh, rather, we have an input list and we have this kind of like player list flying around. And I kind of needed to merge those two into one thing where I was like, I think this player <laughs> equates to this input and this and this and this and this and this and this. But we didn't really have a fully defined stage plot yet. So as those things were coming together, the input list didn't really make sense yet because, you know, obviously you want boxes in locations, right? A box that's stage right, a box that's, you know, stage left, et cetera, et cetera. Obviously we use more than, you know, your usual number of boxes. But as a result of not having all that stuff that defined, our input list looked a little bit crazy because we had most stuff that was stage right on, on this one box. But then there was two inputs that were on that input list that were supposed to go into that box that we thought were going to be stage right, but they ended up stage left or vice versa. So thankfully the, the folks at delicate were like very accepting of this being crazy because, you know, I came in and I was like, Hey, look, we don't know all these things yet. We think it's going to be this might be a little bit of a mess. Let's just make sure we get our cross patches all written down very accurately and know exactly what we're doing. So there was a lot of guessing. And then we get to, uh, actually I guess pre-rehearsal day one, um, 
monitor engineer and myself, we both met up at Delicate and we kind of prepped all the gear, made sure everything worked, make sure everything connected. Uh, you know, I tied in a bunch of my personal gear into the rack that was going to go out. And then we showed up at rehearsal and rehearsal uh, started with just the band. And then the next day we had the band plus the orchestra. And then the next day we had the band plus the orchestra plus the choir. And then we had shows and that was it. So it was, it was a lot to kind of grow through, uh, especially since like the show with just the band isn't actually the show. You know, it's like, it's great for them to get it figured out, but for me to build a mix with it, it's not, it's not enough uh, because I know a lot of space needs to be left for all the other elements that weren't there that day. But at least it, you know, I can get some basic stuff together, tempos and tones yeah. and, you know, your, your kind of basic level of things. And then the next day kind of made a little bit more sense because now I've got the orchestra so I can hack away to make a little bit more space. And then the last day, you know, obviously finally started making sense. But one of the big challenges was I was in a different room than them. So I couldn't actually see who oh, was man. playing what and when, right? You know, that, that visual connection to be able to see someone about to hit a xylophone or about to, you know, play a giant drum fill or walk up to a taiko drum that they're about to go nuts on. I didn't have that little visual link, so I couldn't be ahead of a lot of those things. And we did try to set up a video feed and, and all that, but just just due to what we had available to us at, at the time, we just couldn't do it. So most of my useful work was after everyone else left, and I sat and went through the recordings, and I was like, oh, this is where this one thing gets played. This is where this other thing gets played. And fortunately, I was capturing time code the whole time. So I just started writing a lot of stuff. To, you should have seen the notes for this. It was like 15 different pages with just scrawled stuff all over with arrows pointing at this other song and back down at this song. And it was, uh, it was, it was messy until we did the show. And then suddenly it all made sense, you know? Yeah. It, the, a, a lot of these shows where there's an orchestra and a rock band mix or whatever, Often the the orchestra is is kind of submix or, or second mix or whatever. Was that ever a consideration, or does it need that? You know what I mean? Like you know, um, you know. I know you're pretty awesome, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you're, you're you're dead on. Normally, when you do something like this, uh, you'll end up with a separate submixer or a separate mixer who's basically taking the orchestra and stemming right. it down into, let's say, horns, strings, percussion, whatever. And they'll just feed you eight channels or something like that, right? And I've actually done that role before where I've submixed for someone else. So it would have been helpful to have that. Yeah, it could have made it this easier. But at the same time, when you get to the orchestral-only pieces, if I don't have the control of the various mm. lead instruments, then you need to get someone else to do that. And it, gotcha. you know, it just becomes a bit messy. So effectively, what I did inside of my own console was exactly that. So I had layers that fed into groups, and each of those groups were effectively those submixes. So I had, you know, a, a woodwinds and and well, I, and I guess French horns uh, subgroup, and then a strings subgroup, and then a horns subgroup, and then a percussion subgroup. And that is kind of the same grouping I would have done if I was going to, you know, feed a submix from my desk sure. to someone else, and. You know, I kind of just treated it that way. And on my desk, it's it's pretty easy to spill out those groups. So if I needed to get to something inside a string, I just double tap over there and I get my strings to spill out and make a change and then go back in. So, you know, Michael, as you said, when Denny was doing this, it was kind of mayhem to, to catch all these various layers underneath it. Since I was doing this with the grouping, uh, I could at least spill out those groups and, you know, get everything inside of there 
you know, right. in front of me at any given time. So it wasn't, wasn't crazy managing the input count. I actually thought it was going to be a lot harder to manage the input count than it actually ended up being. But well, uh, the there grouping was, made there it was work. this moment where, I mean, like you said, you're in rehearsal, you're in rehearsal. All of a sudden, we're in the middle of the desert in front of a PA. And Denny was like, hey, I'm about to unmute this bitch like let's like i don't know what's gonna happen you know <laughs> like because you it was exactly you the same for me <laughs> so we're both sitting there like all right let's see what, what happens but I, you know the thing that i was gonna say earlier is if there were ever one of the things that we talk about probably not as much as we should when it comes to sound system design is it's coming off the back of your pa yeah um some shows you're like let it go man let's have a bloodbath on stage because the artist wants it but if there were ever a show where you really have to be cognizant of that i mean this is this is up there. Um, you cannot have crap spilling all over the stage for a show like this. Uh, not only you've got Danny doesn't want to hear it, but also you can't – an orchestra doesn't work like that. You can't have 72 mics with subs blown into them. It's just not going to work. So, yeah. uh, you know, it, it's a little different at a festival because you can't you can't do whatever you want. The system was not built for this show specifically. You know, it's a festival rig, but but it's still well, I mean, something that, that, that was an installed venue too. It was not like you get to design yeah, the design the PA there. Yeah, anymore, I was, was, was going to say at the Hollywood Bowl, you've got d- damn near no control of the PA. They give you what they give you, and you can't even break out zones, which I wish you could. Um, yeah, you have you have almost no control there. But you know, to your point, even when sitting in rehearsal, as much as I might want to be like, oh, we can just add compression here and kind of tighten this up and do this and that. You know, I know that in the context of putting this on an actual stage with a full-size PA, I won't get away with those things. Whereas, you know, in Fox's soundstage, I can get away with all sorts yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Uh, and I guess, you know, that's a, that's a good thing. Being aware that you can't get away with some things before you actually get to the PA. Then means when you get to the PA, you hopefully haven't, you know, uh, you know, push yourself into a corner and push yourself into a dangerous spot where, like, you know, feedback becomes an issue. I think, I mean, also just in terms of the, uh, the naturalness of the sound, uh, it's, it's much, much harder to get an orchestra to sound natural through a PA system. You're kind of, you know, as Dave Ratt would say, you're just squeezing it through two holes, you know, <laughs> that's, that's yeah. not how, that's not how an orchestra sounds to us in real life. It's spread over 70 feet wide of the stage. So when you just squeeze it out of these two holes, I mean, it's, it's very, very hard, um, to get that tonality to sound natural and not harsh and not over amplified and but it has to be loud it's a rock show you gotta get it loud but um and i don't know what your your weather was like but we were you know when you're in the middle of the desert and it goes from 90 degrees to to 55 and the sun's going down and and we just you know i was denny was battling the the console and i was battling the the environment and you know we got through it but usually usually there's parts of the show where i i'll lean over to him and we'll have a little check-in and in that show, it's just like, see you at the end, dude. Like, because <laughs> yeah. we both, you know, it was just, it was a real challenge. So hopefully your environment wasn't that bad. But but I think the orchestra being the, the content really shines a spotlight on on things in the PA that you might get get okay with if it was like a, just a straight up rock show or something, you know? Yeah, no, no, you're, you're, you're dead on there. Um, yeah, we, we got really fortunate on the first day. First day was like perfect weather, you know, uh, no wind. Second day, I felt bad for anyone in the back because there was yeah. enough wind that, and you know, the, the throw for Hollywood bowl is really far and there's no, you know, uh, there's no delays or anything like that. So if you're on the back and it's windy, you just lose the show and there's not much you can do about it. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, to, to your point, 
if if I had it my way, I would have brought in a completely different rig and I would have put in delays and all those other things. But it's the Hollywood Bowl. They just don't let you do any of those. Mm. Yeah, I think, you know, you, you go into, well, again, how do we operate within the parameters that we have? And <clears throat> if there's changes to be made, what changes can be made? Otherwise, you, you just turn into the communication pipeline. Yeah. And you're, I'm aware of this. And I mean, the, our, when our wind picked up and it started kicking everything above, you know, 2K and just, you know, and I just said bye to bye. Denny, like, hey, don't, don't chase it, man. You're not going to get it. Do you just, you know, and he's like, yep, you just let it rock. And, yeah. uh, you know, and it's like, look, you mix and I'll, <laughs> I'll do what can be done. And, and that's what it is. And, well, that, and, that, that that's know. part of this whole thing, right? Is knowing what you can actually fix and knowing what you can't. Right. Right. When the wind blows, you, you just need to know that there's nothing you can do about it. And if you try and compensate it for it, then when it stops blowing or when it blows back, it's just going to take everyone's head off. Right. Yeah. And did, and did you go ahead? Sorry, Michael. No, no. Go ahead, guys. No. Like, so I know it was stressful and you, you, you couldn't take a minute, to, you know, to like not focus. But did you at least was there a moment in the show where you're like you got to at least soak it in for a minute? And be like, this is freaking cool. You know, before every song, I'm like, oh my God, this is going to be fucked. And then, as, <laughs> <laughs> and then literally song by song, like after that first song ends, I'm like, damn, that was intense. And you get like, you get like a half a second to be like, man, that actually worked really well. And then the next song starts, you're like, oh shit, <laughs> immediately again. And then that song ends, you're like, man, that worked really well too. Um, roller coaster. It was a total roller coaster, but it's it's funny because I was like genuinely like kind of high stress up until the first gig. You know, every day I was getting home and I was like, let me read these notes again. Let me make sure everything's okay. Okay, let's make sure I understand how these things are laid out. And then after that first gig, I get home and I was like, that actually went pretty pretty damn well, like really well. Now we get another chance to do this again and do it even better. Uh, so honestly, after after both of them went by, I was like, cool, we could do that again. We could do that again many more times and I'd feel good about it. It's, awesome. it's it's like Michael said, that first time you open the PA, you're like, I don't know what's going to happen. Let's see what happens. <laughs> and, and when I, so um, when, when we did rehearsals, uh, you know, the, the, renting gear these days, is, it's, it's a challenge, right? Everything's out on every tour. So it's, it's hard to get the pieces that, that you want. So the studio monitors that they could provide for me were, you know, those Mackie, what is it? A24s. And I don't like those. So I brought my monitors from home. I brought a pair of barefoots. I brought my barefoot MM26s, right? And I was like, this is going to be good. Also, I know Danny's going to sit in the room with me for hours on end, and we're going to sit and go through this stuff. So I might as well pull in something that sounds good. I even brought acoustic treatment from home and put it all up on the walls in the room that I was in that I was working on. I was like, not, not only does it need to sound good, I also want everyone to know that you know we spent extra effort to make sure that this is a good environment for Danny to sit in and listen to, right? And I know that maybe sounds stupid, but like it actually matters that you make people feel like you're taking care of them, right? And that's what this is. So you know, not only that, he's used to sitting in these bazillion dollar dubbing rooms that have really, really well crafted acoustics. So yeah, his uh, his a little bit. His studio has in-wall ATCs with dual 18s, you know, dual eights, uh, single six and, you know, three inch one or something like that. Like his room sounds amazing. It I'm was sure. Nice all, to be but, there. you know, when you're working on Warner Brothers movies, 
yeah. th- those environments are not, uh, you know, slapdash, shall we say, right? So, so you yeah. got to think about what is what is his expectation, and you know, not that you, you could ever match that in a live environment, but like you said, making a little bit of effort to go. Look, I'm taking this seriously, man. I'm trying to make you comfortable so we can have a good relationship here and do some good Ab- work. Absolutely, but but at the same time, uh, you know, I've I've built shows in my own house using these barefoots and then taken them out, gone done rehearsal and then gone done a show. This was going straight from this tiny little room with a pair of barefoots to cool. Let's throw this on a K one PA outdoors, see what happens. Right. They don't translate very cleanly. (laughs) You know, there was, there was a lot of tweaking that needed to happen there. So I I pulled up a, a, you know, a touch of just the band only song. And I was like, Whoa, this is not working in the way I wanted it to. Now, mind you, it's actually because the barefoots are much better than the K one PA. And it's because the transients (laughs) on the barefoots are so clean that when you put that much, you know, this is a dense show. There's so much happening and there's so much detail that let's be, let's be real that, that the PA there, wasn't as detailed as the monitors I had. Hmm. And I wanted the same well, kind of detail. You're also talking about having a foot of air in between versus 90 oh, feet yeah. of air in between. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. a huge yeah. variable. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So it's like I was expecting this kind of detail in this top end and transient response of these monitors. And then putting it up in the PA, I was like, fuck, now it just sounds really busy. So I kind of had to, you know, tweak a lot of things to make them take up even less space in the mix mm-hmm. so that they had enough space around them so that it didn't feel just like an insanely busy thing coming out of a PA. It, it can't feel like a wall of noise. Even if that is what's happening, it needs to feel like it's more detailed and, and cleaner than that, you know? So it, it, it didn't translate as well as I was hoping, you know, upon that first unmute. So it took, it took a good, I don't know, a couple hours to just get it to a spot where it suddenly made sense. We were like, hey, this might blow up. You know, because just in terms of the game structure of it, you've got fucking, you know, 90 condenser, like just the, just the literal math of the, of the situation. It's we were a lot. like, it's just going to explode, you know? So. <laughs> I questioned the same thing. I questioned yeah. the same thing, yeah. man. I really did. And, you know, oh man. Yeah. There, there, it was, it was a challenging, challenging gig as a whole uh, there was a couple things that when denny did it uh you know he had challenges with so i was like cool we're not doing it that way um like, <laughs> you like get i to remember stand on the shoulder of giants as they say yeah you get to well yeah to, but yeah but like like for example uh when denny did it they were running maddie to do all the playback right and the playback rig would split through a direct out box to feed maddie out to front of house maddie just to, to to monitors but the problem is now when you do that, you're in a bit of a clocking quagmire in that your entire system is clocked effectively off playback, right? Because, you know, either either monitors is clocked off playback and front of house is clocked off playback, or you're resyncing, uh, you know, the clock for the incoming Maddie on both ends. But all of that's just kind of a, I don't know if I really want to do this type thing. <laughs> you know, the clocking across Maddie, especially with, you know, 300 foot BNCs or something like that, it, it just becomes a mess. So we switched it to all analog, but that also meant three stage racks for me, three stage racks for monitors and three splits. So it was a lot, but at the end of the day, they hit play and it worked and there was no funny issues and it was easy. So, well, yeah, okay. I say it was easy. It wasn't actually easy. It was a bit, <laughs> bit crazy, but you know what I mean? At least that portion of it was like, cool. Now we've removed another variable of something else variable. that we might that's have to worry the, about. Well, yeah, that's, that's yeah. exactly like, yeah, I mean, when you have, 
the more complex the events gets, the more you have to go to like, I don't have 10 minutes to get this to work. It has to work. Just give it, give it so, to me as simple as possible right. in a lot of these. Cause scenarios. I'm going to yeah. need this bandwidth to deal with something else, you know? Yeah. And, and that is another thing is that you only have so much mental bandwidth, right? So if you're jumping between all these different things, uh, you know, that, that transition time between the technical thing and the creative mm -hmm. thing, it, it, it wipes you out. It really does. So, you know, if you can stay in all creative or, or stay in all technical and, you know, have separate roles for those two things, it makes this a lot easier. I always try to, uh, you know, I, I try to equate like uh, mixing music to like playing guitar, right? If you had to think about how to play guitar and how to fret the strings and how to pluck the note, mm. you're never going to make music. And it's yeah. in the same way when you're mixing, if you have to think about all the technical details of how you do things, it's, it's going to kind of miss some of that creativity. You know what I mean? So yeah. the more you can kind of have that, that technical That's side just kind of yeah. in the back of your mind where you don't even need to think about it, it's just kind of instinctive or whatever, then the easier it gets to stay in the creative mindset and just enjoy it. I think that's that is more at the root of somebody's console preference than anything technical in so yeah. many ways, you know, um, is that, hey, I don't want to be thinking about technical. So I want a tool that I'm comfortable with. I, I watch these forum threads. like, well, I don't get why this console's so well liked by it. I'm like, you don't have to use it. Like it, it's yeah. simply because somebody's comfortable on it. That's it. There's your answer. You know, that, that's as far as it goes for a lot of people. Uh, you know, I, that's one of the things. And the other thing I think. And less so for me because I don't have to mix a show like this. Uh, but there's a <laughs> Not danger. You're lucky. <laughs> there's a danger in in week two or night two when you are hyper fucking focused on night one because you are aware of the complexity and there's things you're like I need to just pay attention to this because I don't know what's going. You can kind of get comfortable on yeah. night two because you're like well, I actually went pretty good, and then you fuck up, and then you miss the stuff because you weren't. You know, that's in some some ways, the nervousness keeps you keyed into these things and this focus that you have to sustain. So it's a little bit you can get you can get too comfortable with something of this complexity um, and miss something. So in a way, the night two, you know, you got to watch out in a way that you didn't have to watch out for on the first night. Totally. Totally. I agree. I agree a million percent. Um, turns out I, I actually fucked something up on night one. And, and fortunately, I didn't fuck that up on night two. I'm not going to say it out loud because as of right now, nobody knows I fucked anything up. So <laughs> That's the best part. Um, what's, what's changed gears? Um, so we mentioned beforehand, right? So you, you work for Universal Audio, right? Correct? I do. Um, but yet you're also freelancing. And it's funny, you said other people have been asking about this. Like, what's it like to manage working at a manufacturer and doing freelance or home studio work or whatever it is that you have your many hands involved in? You, you know, it's interesting because people were asking me about this because they were, I don't know, uh, hoping to get off the road a bit and, and have more time. And whenever someone goes, you know, what's, what's it like working for a manufacturer and, and, and doing touring gigs or, and working on records and stuff. My answer is, well, you never stop working period. Like, cause I'll work all week on, on UA stuff. And then every weekend flying and doing gig. So I don't get any time off anymore. You know, fortunately what I do with, with manufacturers is generally deadline based, right? So as long as we have definitions and, and, you know, content and information or whatever kind of figured out by a certain time it's not necessarily a nine to five now mind you of course there's still tons of meetings and things like that and you know you need to accommodate those and 
I'll be honest, it's a lot easier if I only toured the United States because then my time difference is only three hours at most. <laughs> but instead, you know, being in, I don't know, Berlin, Germany or something like that and being nine hours off the time base for, for my office, that means I'm taking meetings till one in the morning and that's, you know, I don't know, what, like 3 p.m., 4 p.m. or something in California. So it's a bit of a challenge, but it is kind of nonstop. Um, fortunately, when you work for many audio companies, they are happy to have you out in the world using their products and being in front of people that are also using their products. And as long as you're there collecting data and kind of learning new things about how people feel about your products or how people feel about other products, competitor products, et cetera, as long as you're continually collecting all that information, it is of huge value to a company. So, you know, with UA, when I go out and do a bunch of gigs, um, I've been trying to kind of write a report rundown, you know, something like, I think, what, what do I call it? Like real, real world update or something like that. And I'll send out an email to a bunch of people on the team and be like, Hey, this is some new stuff I learned about, about our products. So like when, when I did this Danny Elfman thing, um, you know, Cedar, the noise reduction, yep. Uh, yep. hardware plugin, et cetera. You know, UA, uh, has a plugin called Cvox, which is the Cedar vocal noise reduction. So, I had a bunch of X16s racked up in my front of house rack and I was running Cvox on all the choir vocals just to clean them up because there's Josh Freeze slamming away on a drum kit in front of him. Um, <laughs> and the moment the, the guys from Delicate saw that I could run a ton of instances of Cvox across a ton of channels in one RU, they were like, we spend a lot of money on the Cedar hardware. We could do this instead. And this would be interesting. Um, you know, because you can run many instances off of one piece of hardware that you can also use for other plugins and other things. So if you're going to keep that in your rental inventory, it actually makes a heap of sense and has quite quite good value. But that was one of those things where I didn't realize that that was like an eye opener to people in a production team. So, mm. you know, I sent that in my real world update email like, hey, these guys didn't know this. This is like pretty, pretty special. Mind you, also, Cvox is amazing on cellos, too. So, Denny, next time you go do this gig, you know, try that out. <laughs> it's it's funny, Mike, Michael. You probably resonate with just about everything you said in terms of uh, the the working freelance and manufacturer all at the same time. Yeah, I mean, not only do you not get as much break, a lot of times you're doing two things at once. I mean, I'm out on a show and I'm also running a new smart build. Yeah, and it's crashing or having problems or the feature isn't behaving the way that we wanted it to, or it is behaving exactly how we hoped. And then I have to take that information back and go, here's what it did. And here's how I think it should behave. And here's how uh, to make this better. And uh, a lot of it is, uh, you know, when a front of house engineer has smart and to, you know, front of house, typically they're using that tool in a very different way than I use it. And they've got it doing three things and, they go, gee, I always wished it could do X. And you either go, oh, it can. Let me show you how to do it. In which case, right. now I'm training. I'm training. I'm educating. Or I go, okay, cool. I'll write that down. And then I go back to the team and say, well, they wanted to do this thing. You know, and that becomes part of the, of the dev meeting. So so it's, it's, it's a very bi-directional process. And I, like you said, if I were tomorrow, say I want to be full-time, with rational physics and I'm going to not do any gigs. I'm actually less valuable to the company in a lot of ways. Yeah. Because yeah. being out, and I call it in the mud, metaphorically speaking, but talking to 
uh, other systems engineers and talking to mix engineers and talking to rental houses and what do you want this thing to do and what are your frustrations with it and what do you like about it? And, um, and there's also things that you can sit at your desk all day, you know, our whole team, you, everybody's got a little DSP and a speaker and a rig set up in their office. And so you get spilled and you sit there and you make it do stuff. And there are things that you can play for a week in the office and you're going to go, yeah, this is great. And you take it out in the field and 30 seconds in, you encounter an issue that you didn't hit in the office because you weren't out trying to do whatever kind of work with it. So I find a lot of stuff in there that I have to then write back and say, oh, it's doing this thing. And, and I think it's because of this. And, and so, so it, there's a value to the product. The product gets better as a direct result of people like me taking it out and, and do it. And, and especially when we started doing the SPL stuff, that, that, is largely a utilitarian tool set. If you look at what it was in 8.2 versus what it is now, all of that was me going to, I spent like a year just going to shows and setting it up. And first of all, we don't know anything about what SPL people encounter at concerts. So let's just build a data set. So let's just go to shows and log them and generate this data. And so now we have distributions and we know what these stats tend to be like, but also let's talk to engineers about it and see what questions they have. And as an educator, when they go, what's the difference between NIOSH and OSHA? The first time I asked that question, I didn't have a good answer ready. I knew the I knew the answer, but I didn't know how to explain it in three sentences because you can't go on a fucking seven minute spiel. He doesn't, you don't have that much <laughs> attention. They don't care. So you can't answer that question in two sentences. You need to think about it more. So it also really helped me understand the way that the understanding of we have of the product as people who make the thing versus the understanding of the users versus the understanding of somebody like an audiologist from a hearing health standpoint and how do we translate between these different views and having these conversations. So, yeah, I, I, but I think, I think the other part of that is uh, you have to be very, very good at managing your own time. Some people work yeah. well when they have direct supervision and they go, okay, now work on this. Okay. Now it's time for lunch. Okay. Now work on this. Some people like that structure. Some people don't like that structure. Some people say, well, okay, we need you to write this user guide and we need to have it by this date. And it's open-ended. Yeah. Yeah. And so I can go home and write it all in 10 hours or I can work. Wait on till it the bit. second to last day. Right. And, and so if you are not good at budgeting your own time, you're going to get in trouble. You're going to get, you know, you can't, you can't write the smart manual two hours before, like you forgot about it. Like the homework, I used to forget about homework all the time in high school. You can be like, I forgot to write the manual. Oops. <laughs> so, yeah, there's, right. no, there's no cramming. There's no cramming. Yeah. Cramming there's no that. cramming on, on some of these things. And so, so the, it's a really, it's a double-edged sword and you have to be the sort of person who's really good at managing their own time and managing their own deadlines and not just putting stuff off because, Oh, well it's three months away. I have tons yeah. of time to do it. Well, all of a sudden you don't have tons of time to do it. And it's a huge fucking project. Um, and the company just doesn't work if people are doing that. So, so I think it's not for everybody. Um, one advice piece of advice that I give to people, I may have said this on the show, but get, get a time card app. Yeah. Check yourself in and out. Cause I, I have a bunch of clients. I do a bunch of work for a lot of different people and I do different consulting and I do different design projects and see where your time's going and help yourself structure your day. Um, and you know, you need to be good at keeping schedule and you need to be good at invoicing. I hate fucking invoicing. I hate so, so if you want to do these things, I, I encourage people to do it. I really like 
the variety of it. Some days I'm like, I really need to get out to an event. I need to hear music come out of a, a PA. And some days I'm like, I want to sit at my desk and type today. And I don't want to go. I'm tired. I don't want to go to a show. I just want to, I just want to sit here and build my, build my training slides. And so I like that I can sort of choose your own adventure. Um, <laughs> but, but if you, you, you can't just do whatever you feel like all the time um, or you're going to get into some big trouble and, and companies are not tolerant of that. So as right. soon as they find out this, this, person is not doing their projects, you're not going to get hired by another company. These <laughs> people talk. So right. um, I, I think it's, I think it can be a very rewarding way to make a living in audio, but you have to really develop some serious discipline to do it. That would be my view on it. What do you think, Ryan? No, I, I, I agree. I've, I've got three points to make based on what you said. One, uh, and this is to cover your ass. Michael has definitely never, ever seen Smart Crash. Never. Nope, Never. it doesn't happen. <laughs> Uncrashable, it's perfect. Okay, Uncrashable. It's perfect. Okay. Uh, uh, and then the other two things, it's 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 about requirements. Hold on. I'm, all, hold on. I'm only laughing because like half of the day today in our Discord was talking about uh, um, the, the, the Volbeat tour and like what they're trying to mess with with the computer that's out there. I don't know what fucking stuff. computer they got their hands on, but it, it, it has literally exhibited every known issue possible oh God. and some that we didn't know about. Yeah. And everyone's like, it was just like, what, what? Where did you get this computer? <laughs> <laughs> That's the reason I'm laughing because I'm like, oh my goodness, today, it's like two on the last nose. couple of days, it's literally been like all day long. This like, no, oh. but, but okay, like, but like Michael Taylor was like, hey, we got to fix, and like Denny's like, nah, uh-uh, not so fast, and then <laughs> like, it's like it broke, it broke again, but a different way. But but for real, two things. Number one, if it crashes, tell us it's crashing. Okay, you can't just wait for the bug to get fixed if you don't tell us about it. Number one. Number two, mm-hmm. dude, I get texts from people all the time. Hey, it's doing this weird fucking thing, and I'm at a show. Ask for help, y'all. Don't just yeah. sit there and get frustrated with it. You know, and, know. and I'll usually text you, be like, "Hey, I don't know how to do this thing in it. Can you yeah. show me how to do?" It? Yeah, Ryan will be like, "Oh, I know it does this thing that I'm trying to do, and I don't remember how." And, 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 and I'm also like, "The manual's right in front of me. I just don't want to read it. I'd rather just text you." <laughs> I definitely do that. I'm sorry. No, it's fine, man. It's a. Uh, that's and Kyle says this all the time, and I know you had two points to get to, Ryan. But I, I, I like that. I, I, I like to be able to help people and answer their questions and and teach them and train them and help them get good results. Like that's filling work. Yeah, you know? it's yeah, my for it's sure. My fault. I, de- I derailed. That's that's what I do here. Is derailed. no, no, no. All good. All good. So the the other two points though are about uh, you know customer requirements gathering and then how you define products, right? So. Typically, companies, when they go, we want to make a new product, they will, you know, use some method to gather information from customers as to how they're going to use this product or or what their needs are or what the problem is you're solving, right? And a lot of companies will just do things like online surveys. They'll send out a survey, be like, how many inputs do you want in an I.O. device? You know, would you use this? Would you use that? That kind of stuff, right? And Which- I'm gonna derail for a second. That amazes me that people actually get data out of that because I never in my life have actually answered any one of those questions. So I'm curious, who are the people who are actually answering those questions? Anyway, back to your. But, you, but maybe <laughs> well, you should, Chris. Well, the, the, the thing is, a bunch of the magazines do it. S, uh, Sound on Stage does it. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, Sweetwater does them. Things like that. You know, even when I was with Avid, we used to send them out, and people would reply all sorts of stuff. Right now. That's one way of gathering information. And unfortunately, a lot of companies rely on only that as their data gathering method, right? The perk of being someone who works in the industry and actually actively is doing this, and this is, you know, Michael, it's the same for you, is that you get to see beyond the survey, like way beyond the survey in a way where 
you know, you can only write such pointed survey questions. You cannot get into the details because if you're mm -hmm. going to send it out to thousands of people, you can't read the thousands of individually worded responses and collate that into usable information. Instead, you need just simple answers that are numbers, mm -hmm. right? But again, a lot of companies use that as their data gathering. So being fortunate to be in the industry and actually go out and use this stuff and speak to people, you get to ask way more detailed questions. And I remember when I was working with Avid, uh, we were like, okay, we're going we're gonna to try and figure out the theater world. There was no way I would be able to figure that out from a survey. Instead, I just stood behind a guy and watched him do it. And I was like, this is completely different than music. And then we sat down and had a beer and chatted for like five hours. And then like a couple of weeks later, I watched it again, but I had better questions because I had seen it, you know, and then sat down with someone else and sat down with someone else. And it's like all of those things. The only way to have learned how they actually work through this is to just sit and watch someone do it without saying a thing, right? Because then you can see how many button presses it takes to get through something or what the workflow is. And then write notes and then ask about intent. Like, what was your goal in this, right? Because at the end of the day, like, you know, you're typically creating products to solve problems, you know, or to make things simpler. Yeah, sometimes you're making products to make money, but like, you know, most of the time your, your goal is actually to solve a problem. So, so that, that was kind of point one, right? But point two is that when you're defining what a product should be, you're literally writing out requirements documents. You're writing a document that is, you know, lays out when you do this, then this happens. When you do this, then this happens. When you do this, then this happens, right? And you can kind of work this out in your head where you've played through it and you're like, oh, this is definitely going to work. But then the moment you have the software in front of you and you press that first button, you're like, oh shit, that's not what it should have done. <laughs> like it does, it does exactly what I told them to make it do, but that is definitely not how I should use it. You know what I mean? So to your point, Michael, like there's some things that you can sit and you can write and think it's like dead on accurate, but then the moment you're physically doing it and actually playing with it, you realize that like you've kind of, you know, dug yourself into a hole or something like that. And like, oh, you know what? It needs to be a different kind of workflow, different kind of manner of it working. And again, you know, being out in front of people using this stuff all the time makes it a lot clearer for, you know, writing these definitions for how something should work. It's so funny, you know, and again, it's, it's somebody's job. It's Hannah's job. When you send an email to support at rationalacoustics.com and you say, I think smart should flash blue when the speaker sounds good, whatever you send in, you send in a, a feature request or an idea. Hannah sits there and she puts it all in a document and we talk about it. And each version of smart has a product manager and, and, and it gets figured out. So it's very easy to go, I think it should do this thing and just send that away. And sometimes that's a very, very, very complicated. There are so many layers to, okay, yeah. well, how does it look like? Where does it live in the interface? Well, when I do it, what happens? Okay, well, except when it's in this mode and I push this button, now how's it going to react? And what, what, there are all these, you have to kind of go down this fractal in your head of every possible state because it's a software product or it's a console that's programmable. Yeah. And so, so you have to exactly define how it is going to react in every single one of those situations. And then and, sometimes you get seven layers down and go, this is not going to work because of this. And, and, and people don't, if you're not used to thinking in that way and in the context in which the software gets built, and you also, you also know how the code works under the hood, what the hardware limitations are and all these other things that the average person doesn't know because they don't work on it. Um, it it's, it's so much more complicated than, than you might think. And I enjoy that. But at the same time, um, 
it's a little can be frustrating. Someone goes, well, I don't understand why it doesn't do this. And I'm like, well, I do because we right. spent 10 hours on it and it, <laughs> it blows 10 other things up. You know? but, but also every once in a while you get a request where you're like, I'm pretty sure you're the only person who wants it to do this, because if you do that, then everyone else's workflow stops working. You know, and like finding the that balance. Feature. Yeah, we yeah. call it the single user yeah. feature. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Finding that balance of like how you can achieve the goal that that person wants without doing it the way they're asking. It, that's the challenge of it, you know? Yeah, and I and I, I like that about it. Um, there's something that people have been asking for since SPL came out. And we're going to do it in 9.2, I think. And it took me a year to figure out how to do it in a way that didn't break the entire way that we show data to people in smart. Right. There's paradigms that exist that have existed for 25 years and you have to follow those. So people understand how to use your tool. Yeah, absolutely. And it took me fucking months to go, okay, I figured it out. And then when I showed it to Jamie and Chris, they're like, yeah, that's pretty cool. You know? And so that's like, <laughs> that's a cool moment when you're like, I fucking got it, you know? Uh, but, yeah. but it's, um, Boy, it's kind of it's a it's an acquired skill, man. It really is. Was there? Did we did we get the point three? No, yeah. that was the third one. The the first one was oh. was smart. Never crashes. Remember? I lost I no. lost count. Yeah, never. Um, well, all right. <laughs> at, at at the risk of being vulnerable or whatever, this may be a question for both of you. Um, what's something you don't like about working for a manufacturer? Not the manufacturers you're working for, just you, you both have worked for multiple manufacturers, uh, or at least Brian. Um, what's that side of work, you know, for people who don't know what it's like to work for a manufacturer, what, what's something maybe you don't like about that part of their work? Oh, I got I don't it. know, Michael. You, you, you want to dive in first? You, you are part of a, a group, part of a team. I'm a freelancer. So at the end of the day, I'm captain of my own ship, right? And there's a lot of complication that comes along with that. But but I, I really like and cherish the freedom that I have. And if I want to buy a thing, I buy a thing. If I want to take a gig, I take a gig. If, as soon as you work for a company, and I'll, I'll just use Smart as a product as an example, if tomorrow Jamie goes, we're going to do Smart's going to be making bouncy houses now. I'd buy and one. I'm like, well, I don't fucking want to make bouncy houses. It's like, well, that's not your – you're part of the group. So you can fucking make the bouncy house because that's what we're doing, or you can go do something else for another – employer but you your way is not the way of the world when you work for a manufacturer um you, you sometimes you're going to look like all of these again smart as it exists is is a bunch of people having meetings and trying to agree on how things should work and i don't always win my battles and chris doesn't always win his battles and jamie doesn't always win his battles sometimes you lose a battle and so sometimes you're going to be like yeah i know that's how it works and i don't think it should do that and it's maybe crazy for someone to hear someone from the people who made the thing go, I didn't want it to do that thing. But but that's the reality of of working on a team. And so for me, that's the frustrating part is you have to advocate for your shit, but sometimes you don't get everything you ask for. Um, and, yeah. and that's just, just reality, you know? I could see that. I, a, a thing that can be tough is the prioritization, right? Like for me, I want the customer to have the best thing that could possibly exist that they love, right? But at the same time, for the company, we need to make profit and, and we need to do things in a way that uh, leverages, you know, uh, leverages things we already have, right? You know, algorithms we already have or this or that, things that we are confident we can do well. Um, we can't necessarily do these kind of blue sky things where like, let's just do something brand new and build it from scratch. So balancing, you know, the company goals versus 
what I want the customer to have, which is the best experience of all time that costs damn near nothing. Like that's, that's a challenge, right? Mm -hmm. And you could be in a spot where you're like, yeah, we could make this thing a hundred bucks cheaper. And yeah, the customer would love that, but like, we basically don't make money anymore. And which means it's no longer a successful <laughs> business, right? So, so that's a challenge. And then the one other thing I, I severely dislike about working for a manufacturer is that when, when you meet new people, uh, you know, typically I don't tell anyone I work for anybody until I already know their opinions and feelings and everything about that company, right? So when I was working for Avid, I wouldn't tell anyone I was working for Avid and, you know, I'd show up with my console and I'd listen to them tell me their opinions and all their thoughts mm, about the console. And then after they told me that, then I'd tell them that I work for them because I don't want people to hold back, right? I want them to tell me honestly and openly, right? Now, the problem Hold there, on, though, the, is that there, there had to have been some amazing experiences that people's so you, demeanors, you get taken on a rough ride demeanors completely <laughs> changing. What do you say? Oh, yeah. You get taken on a rough ride sometimes. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this fucking console sucks. They're like, oh, yeah. Tell me more, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, specifically, you know, when, when I work with Abbott, and, and, and it still happens now, uh, people, they'll unload all their grievances on you. The moment mm -hmm. they learn that you work for that manufacturer, they'll tell you everything they dislike about it, right? And and that can be exhausting. It can be really emotionally yeah, sure. tiring. And much of it well, is not even about I the said, product you is, make. A lot of it is not up to you. Right. But all, also, a bunch of it, you know, when you're working for a company that has many different product lines, a lot of it was about products I don't even have anything to do with. Someone will start complaining about Pro Tools, and I'm like, cool, I'll, I'll tell the guys you work on it. You know, like, what do, what do you want me to do, man? Right. There's, there's verticals within, people don't understand there's verticals within, you know, organizations and manufacturers. And, right, because yeah, yeah. to, to them, they're like, it's it's your fault. You're in front of me, so it's your fault. You know, when I call support, <laughs> they, they they told me to wait on the phone for an hour. It's your fault. And I'm like, dude, next time call me, that here's my number. That music was awful, by the way, that, that whole music. That was... <laughs> <laughs> no, so so that, that can be a challenge. Like, uh, to be honest, I want to hear what everyone thinks about all these things, right? But like... When you put your heart and soul into building something mm. and, and someone kind of, you know, rips on it, it is an emotional yeah. challenge to just feel okay with that, especially because usually that's right before I have to do a gig. So it's like, you know, <laughs> it's like, this is all happening. Then I'm like, oh man, in an so hour, we got to hit this and we got to hit this well. Let's flip yeah. it around because I love to go to manufacturers at trade shows and talk to them about their stuff. I love it. Oh yeah. There's plenty of positives man. too. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, I "Hey, we got to go be, by. You know. We got to go by D and B because I got to ask him a question, and then we got to go to Alan and Heath because I have three things I want the Avantis to do, and I need to tell Richard or whoever's over there. Yeah, yeah. And so, so that's important stuff, and that's part of why these companies go to trade shows, right? They send people yeah. to trade shows so they can have those conversations. Be nice, just be nice. <laughs> it's that simple. Like, no, we want the feedback. Well, well, well. Let me be straight with you. Don't insult shit." Let me be straight. Like when someone comes up and, and they say bad things, you know, of course I take notes and I'm like, cool, how do we make this not upset these people? Right. But also there's a certain point where you say something bad. I'm like, okay, cool, cool. We'll try and fix it. And then you keep going on something bad. I'm like, okay, cool. I, I, I said, we try and fix it. And then you keep going. And at that, at that point, eventually I'm going to just go, all right, cool. There's nothing more for me to say to you here. So anything you say that is like about improving this product, it, it, it just doesn't work anymore. Right. Validated. Yeah. Yeah. But then you know, other people can come up and say, oh man, this is, this, this thing's really rough. Like, you know, uh, we need to fix that. I'm like, cool. All right. And they're like, oh, but it would also be cool if we could do this, if we could do this, if we could do this. That becomes a real conversation really quickly where we can talk about how to improve the product. 
where it gets tough is when you know someone just kind of keeps ragging on something that's well, bad, you, and you, you just trying like, to be right. productive. Yeah, it's it's all about trying to be productive. To, yeah, are you trying to just clear your yard arm? Uh, <laughs> because it's not cool to the person who's you know get sent to the trade show. They just got to be the brunt of all that. But if you legitimately, you know, I mean, I went to Richard took out his little notebook, and I said, look, there's three menus on the advantages. There's three ways to change the name and the color of an input. There's three places. And I go, all three of those dialogues are different. And only one of them has left and right scroll arrows. I go, put that on the other two. And he's just like, oh, yeah, and writes it down. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So so those types of things. He's like, that's great. And he writes it down. So you can point that shit out and you can have a conversation. Just don't be rude to the person. That's all. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> honestly, just anyone that shows up that's constructive, I'm like, cool, let's let's work through this. Let's figure out how to make this things better for you. And also, if you work for a manufacturer and you don't know the answer, don't lie. Please yeah. don't lie to me. I went to a, a a manufacturer of a thing that I use a lot, and I said, I am having this problem with your thing, and the guy gave me a response that was not connected to reality, and I said, okay, who, like, who? and then they're like, oh, here's the applications guy. And the applications guy gave me a straight-up answer, but it's like, if you're going to be the do the marketing thing, that's fine, but don't – if you're going to look an engineer in the face and lie to him about something technical that you don't super understand because you do marketing, there's no shame in that, but they're going to smell it. So stay in your lane, you know, <laughs> you know, it, it, along those lines, the other day, uh, someone was telling me about some lady who walked into a CVS. She walked into the CVS and she was just flipping out I'm like, I'm like, F you, you guys are all garbage. I'm never going to go to the CVS again. <laughs> was flipping, flipping Look, out. It, if they would just shorten the receipts, she wouldn't be act like that. <laughs> 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 no, but the, the point I'm making though, is that, you know, one person having a bad response doesn't make an entire business bad, right? She may have had a crap, res uh, you know, a crap interaction with one person at one pharmacy in one place, right? That doesn't make everyone else there suddenly responsible for CVS being, you know, a, a hellhole, right? And it's the same for a manufacturer. If someone gives you a bad response for something and, and you know, untrue, yeah, they definitely shouldn't do that, right? But you can't say the entire manufacturer's garbage because that one interaction, and I see that happen a lot across a lot of different, a lot of different things. You know, like you'll mm -hmm. see on the internet, someone someone says, "Oh, I, I called support and they said blah 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 blah," and that was an unacceptable response. And then the whole internet blows up, and he's like, "I'm never going to buy these products again." That kind of thing. Like, you know, everyone's human. Everyone that works for all these companies are all humans, and they have good days, bad days, and sometimes they don't tell you the right answer. And it's like, yeah, that shouldn't happen, but it does. And most people who have worked at a or who working at a manufacturer have probably worked for one or two other other manufacturers in the same space. It's true. You know what I think is tough <laughs> is Casey. If you call you call Rational Physics Support. Mm -hmm. you, you hit I don't know four for whatever it is two or four for tech support. Probably Casey's going to answer. So he's the first person you talk to. He's the, the quote unquote tier one tech support, right? He has to know. A whole bunch of shit about smart. Because about if everything. He, if he's if you get a guy who's just minimum wage position, he's just going to answer the phone and forward every question to somebody else. What is his job? So even at a quote unquote entry level position, and I'm not saying that's what it is, but for for tech support, even the even the tier one people have to know a bunch of shit, and that's hard. <laughs> and so yeah. so sometimes they get it wrong, and they're not usually do it on purpose. I, I have had manufacturers say things to me that were intended to mislead, but it, when you're calling tech support, they're not out to fuck you over. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. So you got to just remember, you know, the, and also, I mean, Russell Kuz is 11 people, <laughs> you know, so it's not Megacorp. Like we don't have the resources that, that some, you know, it's not, it's not fucking, you know, Kai, like what are these, these huge, it's not, it's not, it's you're not calling, Samsung, you're not Apple. Yeah. Or Samsung or, or Microsoft. It's, it's 11 people. Yeah. So yeah. I'm sorry. We didn't write you back in 45 minutes, you know? <laughs> And this is not a defense of manufacturers making mistakes. They do whatever. Some manufacturers, not the most pleasant, whatever. But, you know, come <laughs> at it. Come at it with a positive attitude. Come at it with, you know, constructive attitude. And hopefully you get sorted out. But also there's the there's the also like, hey, there's a really pissed off lady online, too. And I'm going to let her sit for a minute. Like, that's, that's a real thing, you know, like let her cool down. <laughs> let her simmer. Let her uh, simmer. Or, yeah, or when you've got like, a female CEO and the call shows let me talk to your boss and they're like no i'm i'm i am the boss like they just assume because she's a woman she couldn't possibly be in charge or anything right like, that's a real attitude that people have that's fucking horrifying so it's like well now you get to call back and apologize to the tech support girl that you yelled at you know so it's like, yep. that's straight up shit karen made somebody call back and apologize what time is love it <laughs> ryan you you've done an insane amount of different things What's, what's something you've yet to do that you want to do? Oh, man. And does this have to be music related? No, in life. I don't care. It doesn't matter. It doesn't be audio. I don't care. It doesn't, There's it two things. One, I'm trying to get my pilot's license. Oh, nice. Which is what, what, crazy. What, what kind? Like what Like what level plane? Like what are we talking about? Uh, probably just, you know, single seat or single engine, that kind of thing. Like, you know, small. Okay. I'm not going to try and do commercial or jets or anything like that. But just... Wait, like, hey, Joel, Joel Lunky, like, so, yeah. he, I mean, he, he just left the audio industry, three pilots right? on the show, actually. Three. Right, like, Joel Lunky, like, left. He now flies for American Islands. He's a pilot for American Islands. Like, he left the industry. Like, he was Billy wow. Idol's front house engineer forever, and now he's American Airlines, you know, pilot. Like, anyway, that's that, That's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. I don't think I want to do that, though. I, I feel like <laughs> I'll, I'll be honest, like this, this probably sounds offensive, but like to me, pilots are just like really, really rad bus drivers. <laughs> right. Like and I don't mean that in a mean way, but commercial oil and pilot, you're effectively a bus driver. You're just a bus driver in the sky. No offense to Joel. And I, no offense to any pilots either. I, like, it is an amazing job. It's awesome. But like, just for as a career path, it's just not really where I want to go. <laughs> I probably shouldn't have said that out loud, right? Probably should have kept that one inside. Oh, no, it's totally fine. <laughs> no, all right, but uh, that's, that's awesome, though. I mean, that's that's an admirable that's an admirable thing. And there's actually, I know, I know of actually quite a few audio engineers who have done the flying thing. It's a, um, it's, it's an interesting thing for sure. You know, it's kind of like the same, like, you know, on the edge of your seat, is everything going to explode or are we going to make it through the show type feeling? <laughs> yeah, I can see that. <laughs> no, so, so that and then the other thing I'm actually trying to get into just because I think it would be really fun is, is car racing. So I go go-karting every single day off we have on tour. It's just a thing I really enjoy. I just thought it'd be really fun to do it in, in a car, um, you know. So actually like what, do that like, competitively. Like what level of car here? What, what are we talking here? I don't know. Probably starting Miatas and then kind of go from there. But, you know, the, the cost of all this stuff is pretty insane. You know, Miatas at least are cheap and, you know, tires and, and brakes and all that is not, not insane. It's once you get into the higher classes, you're, you're spending a couple thousand bucks each time you try and do this. The interesting thing is that both of the things you said that you were looking forward to do um, come at risk of death. Yes, this is true. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't. I don't know what else, man. Um, it, it's funny. I've had this conversation a, a bit lately uh, because 
we were, I was talking with this this artist I just did some shows with. It's like a pretty fresh artist, and and most of the crew on it is like some of their first tours ever, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And and I was like, I've been to eighty eight countries. That's a lot, and and I've done a lot of things. I've kind of like, and again, this will sound offensive, but like I feel like I've run out of a lot of things to do that many people who have not you know had this kind of career path they've never been able to do right you know a lot of people they say oh if if you won millions of dollars what would you do with your time they're like oh i'm going to travel and i'm like oh i've kind of been everywhere like i'll probably still travel too so you know you end up finding these weird things that you get really into things like you know wanting to fly a plane or wanting to race cars you know it's 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 different yeah for sure no that's that's why i asked i know you've done the insane amount of different things it's like it's you know, but probably probably start some more businesses too. I like doing that too. I like well, inventing is, products, inventing weird stuff. I think you you make furniture. I do. You? Yeah. 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 See? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chris, you're like what? <laughs> well, I, I hold on. I know another audio engineer, Will Miller, modern engineer, who, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, he's my mentor. I mean, that's what he does when he's home from Barry Manilow, for, you know, for the last decade or twelve years, whatever. I mean, he he does fine woodworking and like insane woodworking, you know, and that's his basically that's his either side hustle slash hobby when he's home. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that you know you can kind of get lost in doing these little details, and like everything else disappears for a while while you're working on that, you know. Mm. So it's yeah. it's kind of nice because because it's just you and a piece of wood, and you're kind of no, like I'm, I'm envious thing. because my brain doesn't allow me to have another hobby other than audio things. Like I, the the only time in the last decade that I've had a hobby cl- outside of anything related to audio was genealogy right like i i got cool. into genealogy for like like hardcore like right before my grandfather passed and right after he passed because he was big into it long story short um and that was insanely time consuming but very um what's the word um is it cathartic or how do you say it or yeah where it is like it, it um and like it was but it was one of those things that like you can make it consume all of your time if you wanted to you know or you have to control yourself but i mean i'm, I'm jealous of people who are able to have these other things not audio related um because i, I you know what i love yeah. watching somebody who's really fucking good at something do that thing i don't care if it's like mm. chopping onion like Watch yeah. Gordon Ramsay crack an egg, and you're like, "Oh fuck yeah, that's it!" You know, um, <laughs> there's I I I saw this YouTube thing. I try to stay off YouTube because the problem is you you you're like, "What what did I just do for the last hour?" And you didn't do anything. Um, but uh, TikTok uh, the, for me. But yeah, anyway, go ahead. There's a series. So the the you know this old ancient Greek hand powered computer that they they dug up the Antikythera mechanism, and it predicts the planets and the stars, and it's amazing you know, technology that they had this thing at that point in time, this guy reconstructs it out of modern day, like brass metalworking techniques. And every single move is like, he's done that 10,000 times. And it's just the complete precision of it. And that's how I try to aspire in my work of like complete precision where you're not wasting movements, you're not wasting energy. It's, hmm. it's very, very, um, premeditated. It's very, very deliberate. So watching somebody who's an absolute expert at something I know nothing about, it's fucking fascinating. So this dude has like, I don't know, 12 videos where he remakes this whole mechanism and teething all the gears by hand. And just, the, I'm like, this is 
fucking wild shit and I would struggle so much to do it and the dude makes it look so simple and it's just like that mark of somebody like this person knows what the fuck they're doing. Fucking yeah. love that shit. Yep. I think Click Spring is the name of the YouTube channel. So if anybody wants to go down a fucking rabbit hole, watch <laughs> that shit, man. That is wild. Totally wild. That's a, that sounds awesome. Yeah, I mean, you know, when when you're this deep into music stuff, I think it takes an active effort to choose to find something else that you're into. Because mm-hmm. I, I I think for both of those, I was like, it, it was an active choice of I need to find something that is not work because music is work yep. that I enjoy. And like, what is it going to be? I just started taking a bunch of different classes for a bunch of different things. And I ended up taking like that kind of first pilot's license class. And I was like, this is awesome. I ended up doing some, you know, intro to racetrack class. And I was like, this is awesome. And and both of them, you know, can be a rabbit hole that you fall all the way down. Sure. I mean, getting a pilot's license would cost almost 20 grand or something to just go through all the classes and all that. It's, right. it's like a huge all, amount eat, of money. And like the fuel and yeah. all that stuff. Like, yeah, it's, I can only imagine. So, that. of course, I, I looked at that. I was like, this is an awful idea for me to want to get into this. This is so expensive. <laughs> like, what am I doing in my life? But, you know, again, it was an active effort. And I, I, I see the value in it because there are things that I can do where I can just not be thinking about work at all. And, and these are those things. But you can, I mean, you're obviously a person who uses your brain a lot. So both of those activities require you to use your brain. So that probably as part, I imagine that's part of what drives you. It's like you're using your brain just in different capacities. That's probably yeah. still the, what you're, what you're kind of really getting out of that. Exactly. You can take that analytical mindset or whatever and just apply it to something that's completely different than music. And uh, yeah, I don't think I'd be that into, you know, like, uh, I don't know anything that 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 doesn't require heavy thinking. It's just that's just what mm. I enjoy. It just wanted to be heavy thinking about something that is not, you know, what I've right. spent the last you know twenty five years heavy thinking about. You know, so like like knitting and crocheting, that's not going to work for you. No, I don't think so. Yeah, I'll, I'll give it a shot. I'll try it. <laughs> but yeah, I don't think that's gonna. I don't think it's gonna do com- it. Com- competition knitting, right? I mean, yeah, you know, like <laughs> extreme knitting. <laughs> yeah, extreme extreme competition knitting. <laughs> That actually would be kind of oh, impressive man. to watch. Ryan, oh, thank you. Ryan, man. yeah, I, I hope I can actually. I mean, Michael gets to run into you. I hope I get to run into you at like some point. That'd be kind of cool. So, yeah, let's look at schedules, man. I'm sure we'll cross paths. Hopefully, but cool, man. Well, appreciate you um, jumping on. You just you're probably on jet lag right now. You just you flew back yesterday from I don't know, Germany or wherever the hell you were. Yep. But yeah, so. <laughs> it's all right. As soon as we get off this, I'm just going to lay on the floor. I'll be out. I'm done. <laughs> awesome, man. Thank no, you. Great to chat, guys. Take care, buddy.